everyone. Welcome back to Colton Corner. This is such an exciting episode. I'm Lisa Green, the Interfaith Fellow on campus and the Vice President of Religion and Culture at Hillel. I'm a sophomore. And today I'm so, so excited to get to talk to President Nicole Hurd. This is amazing. This is an honor. Um, and uh, I'm President Hurd. I'd love to just get right in. If you could start by just telling us a little bit about how you got to campus, what your day-to-day journey has been like, and and how you feel Lafayette's been so far. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. You know, I've I've said this before, but I'll say this to you. The reason why I came here was to be around amazing people uh, and amazing students like you. So thank you for having me. Um, I remember meeting you. uh, I was fortunate enough uh, to be invited to Rosh Hashanah dinner um, early in the in the semester, and uh, you and just so many other students have wrapped their arms around me and my family. So thank you for for this incredibly warm welcome and for our time together today. I'm really excited to be here. So, um, you know, in terms of uh, how did we get here, uh, and what's my what are my days like? So. you know, we got here because I spent the last, you know, I've got a PhD in religious studies, so I'm very excited to be talking to you about all things I'm today. so excited. <laughs> you're, you're the absolute perfect person um, to be on a religious podcast. And, and when I read your background, I just, I couldn't believe it. Well, it's uh, it's been an incredible journey. Like I said, I'm, I'm happy to share it. It's one of the reasons why I love being in community, so we can share our stories. So, um, so yeah, it started with, you know, I have a PhD in religious studies. I was teaching and um, doing administrative work at the University of Virginia. I had this idea that we don't have enough first-generation, low-income, and underrepresented students going to college, and so started as a faculty project, and then um, it turned into something much bigger, uh, a program to take recent college graduates and place them in low-resource high schools to make sure every student hears the four words we all need to hear, which are, I believe in you, right? And so um, they were, you know, first 14 uh, were all UVA grads. We went out into high schools full-time after graduation. Um, and help students now get the path to college. And so started out, like I said, as, as a project while I was teaching. I was actually teaching, and we can talk about it. I was teaching a class on female saints. Uh, oh, I was the dean that, under, that was in charge of undergraduate research and fellowship. So I had this incredible experience at the University of Virginia, which is where I did my PhD. But this oh, wow. um, need to be of service really, at, you know, that kind of call to service was very deep in me. And when mm-hmm. we started doing this advising work, it really resonated with me. So... Uh, a year into doing this college advising work, I got a call from the Jack Kent Cook Foundation. Uh, and when you have a PhD in religious studies in your mid-30s, you don't think anybody's ever going to offer you $10 million to do anything. <laughs> but uh, the phone rang, and they said, we're so taken by this model. We want to put $10 million into national replication. I dropped the it's phone. Incredible. Uh, yeah, the first call was to my husband and said, like, I can't believe this just happened. The second call was uh, to my dean at the time, my dear friend and mentor, who was actually here for inauguration at Ayers. Mm-hmm. Um, incredible for professor and leader, and uh, and I said, Ed, I can't believe this, but they want to take the program national, uh, and we had a conversation about maybe it's time to pause my teaching and research career and, and go do the service work. So, for the past 15 years, I've been scaling an organization called the College Advising Corps. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the time we finished up, or I finished up, the organization is still thriving, uh, but it had been about 15 years I've been doing the work, um, helped over 525,000 young people go to college. Um, had over 800 uh, recent college graduates from 31 colleges and universities uh, doing the work as full-time advisors last year, even during COVID, um, and really was proud of, of kind of increasing opportunity. And I felt like, okay, after doing this really broad work, a lot of airplanes, a lot of kind of light touch, I was craving, and this is part of, I think, my uh, DNA and my my religious or my faith journey, right, is this deep, profound need to be in community and to mm-hmm. do things in mm-hmm. a deeper way. Um, and so when I got a call saying, would you be interested in looking at Lafayette, this place just uh, resonated with me in beautiful ways and kind of fell in love. So, um, you know, I'm here to do the work deeply instead of broadly, but it's still the work about um, helping people achieve their potential. It's still the work about seeing each other and hearing each other and valuing each other. It's at a different scale, and I actually love it, right? I, I get to know people in a much de- uh, deeper way. I get to know names. I've been going to, you know, I was at the percussion ensemble uh, celebrating Professor Stockton on Saturday. I was at a volleyball game. You know, I was, wow. uh, uh, you know, I was with the Bishop of Allentown last week. I mean, I'm, I'm all kind of all over the place, right? Um, and alums, we've got 29,000 alums. We've got, you know, 2,700 plus students. We've got 250 faculty members. We've got incredible staff. This community is just um, a very special place. So my day-to-day is really kind of 
working with all these constituencies I just named, right? So That's I've been amazing. going to classes, yeah. uh, which has been one of my favorite things to watch, not to evaluate or judge, but to just watch <laughs> the magic between our, our faculty and students. Um, been Zooming and, and visiting with some alums, talking about the future and why they love this place so much. Uh, working with our board of trustees about where we might go next. Uh, but I'm squarely on my listening and learning tour. And so uh, it's, again, this is just, every day is different, which is one of the reasons why I love it. But every day is full of, just possibility and love, if I can use those words. Um, I, I adore yeah. that. Yeah, that's that's wonderful. Your listening and learning tour. That's that's so eloquent. I'm curious, just going back for a second, and then we'll really go full circle. Um, in in your program that you took nationally, are there specific students that you talk to that you, that still stick with you? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, there's um, like I said, I, I say this all the time. I, I probably heard me say at inauguration. I believe. Part of being an educator, sure, an educator is to have um, sparks become fireworks, right? That, mm -hmm. that it's you see the potential in others and you help them achieve it themselves, right? And I think, um, you know, one of the people that actually participated um, in inauguration, uh, a young man named uh, Donovan Livingston, who's now a professor, like where does the time go? But I remember he was one of our first uh, advisors at UNC Chapel Hill. Um, he went on to help me uh, launch our chapter at NYU, so he was an advisor oh. in both um, in North Carolina and New York. He then went on um, to Harvard to grad school. And if uh, I can tell your listeners, everybody should take out, check out. He did a um, commencement speech at Harvard called Liftoff that went viral. I mean, every, Justin Timberlake, you name it, like, oh, uh, you know, uh, Hillary Clinton, everybody was retweeting this thing. It just went absolutely viral. Um, but watching Donovan have his voice and capture his voice that way that day was one of those moments as an educator where you're just kind of blown away watching somebody achieve their potential. Mm -hmm. uh, Don went on to get a PhD at UNC Greensboro and he's actually a professor at Wake Forest. Um, wow. And so when I think about Donovan's journey, it's been incredibly exciting. And Donovan is um, uh, just one of thousands of stories of just watching, again, these sparks become fireworks. That's incredible. So what was your role like kind of with individual students in the program? So, you know, that's that's one of the reasons why I wanted to be here. I love students. I love being around, um, like I said, watching the journey unfold. Uh, mm -hmm. And so, you know, when I was at uh, Virginia, I had these really great, deep relationships with students. When I started the College Advising Corps, it was deep um, and, and really thoughtful relationships. As we scaled and we got bigger and we were in 17 states, it was harder to have that same level. Right, that makes um, sense. And so, like I said, my job was more kind of cheerleading than it mm -hmm. was kind of doing the deep work. And while the cheerleading was incredibly um, fun and uh, inspirational and important, like I said, it was just an inflection point in my own journey where I felt like yeah. that work is now can be handed off to people who will do it beautifully. And I, I love my colleagues uh, and I still check in on them. That's but my own kind of need to be, like I said, kind of this deep, profound community and in a sense, um, be in a place where we could shape the future together. Um, right. and really see and hear and value each other in ways that if you're jumping off and on planes, which is what I've been doing before COVID, right. um, you have you have um, a different cadence, right? And I was concentrated craving, yeah, impact. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know we're living on campus now. My husband's yeah. here. The dogs are here. Um, you know, my, my <laughs> two children are in college themselves. Um, one's at UNC Chapel Hill. The other's at UVA. Um, they'll be back for breaks and summers. But, uh, you know, there's nothing like waking up and, like, the view from, you know, the window on the second floor is a party, right? Like, it's just yeah. nothing like waking up and walking the quad, right? There's nothing oh. like um, seeing all these students um, running to class. It's just you feel like you're part of something really important and really meaningful. So. Oh, absolutely. That's so beautiful. You just, yeah, it's incredible to see everyone on the quad just in their own journey to see us coming together. Uh, especially, you know, since we were virtual for so long, the semester really feels like something special. Yeah. 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 No, I think, I mean... I knew for my own kind of, um, my own DNA or my own kind of inner voice that I was craving community. I think the COVID piece just brought that even more, oh, right? Yeah. And I think, you know, the one thing about COVID um, is that it did give us time. And again, I, I, I'm not, um, there was a lot of damage and a lot of hurt and a lot of loss. But the mm -hmm. one thing I did do think it did, it gave us all time to reflect about what we really want. Absolutely. Um, and I think... That also was part of my decision, right? It's what I really wanted to be. So be sitting here with you right now. I mean, I, I, to be in, in partnership, to be in relationship, to be in community. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I was grateful for the opportunity to slow down and reflect because I think before COVID, and, and this is something we all have to watch as we come out of COVID, right? 
Um, there's something about the cadence that if we're not intentional and we don't slow down and we don't reflect, we go on autopilot or we start checking boxes and that's not where life is really lived. That's right. not where the work is really done, right? You're not your fullest self. No, you're not. And you're, no. you're just kind of like going through the motions. Yeah. I mean, I even worry that with students, somebody was asking about, you know, curriculum and, and why higher education. I believe all of the students here are on this incredibly exciting journey. And it's not about taking area requirements or taking you know, core requirements and checking boxes or checking boxes to get majors. I hope while you're all here, you take risks. I hope you all get uncomfortable. Um, I hope you all find relationships. I hope you all stretch yourselves because you're not here to check boxes. You're here to do the work, right? Yeah. And, and one of the reasons why I wanted to be here was to do the work with you. So. And you're not here to stay stagnant. Yeah. I yeah. think those growth moments are so important. I, I had a moment where I was challenged in the class yesterday. And it really, you know, it can feel scary and intimidating, but it's really, it's everything. Well, and, you know, there's a difference between uncomfortable and unsafe, right? Sure, so I'm not course, saying that, yeah. that anybody should be unsafe here. That's not, that's not, uh, that's not tolerable. But uncomfortable in terms of having views that you have to challenge and articulate. Exactly. And, you know, we're, we're here to, to learn and grow um, mm -hmm. and not to, you know, we're not here to teach people what to think, we're here to teach them to think, right? right. And I think the right. beauty of our faculty is they are um, full of so much goodness and passion for their subject matters that they should be challenging everybody to think. Oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um, well, now I'm so excited to get the full circle, full perspective um, of your life and your religious journey, yeah. um, but really every step of the way. Yeah. Uh, so if we could start at the very beginning and then we'll circle back to what right now means in terms of the context of everything. Yeah. Um, so what would you say your religious tradition is for anyone who doesn't know? Well, it's so interesting. So um, I've had exposure to all sorts of things. So my um, growing up, I went to a Presbyterian preschool. Uh, and then uh, I went to an Episcopalian elementary school. So I can remember going to chapel and I can remember, um, you know, some religious traditions in my family. You know, we always celebrated Christmas and Easter, uh, mm -hmm. so grew up in a, in a Christian tradition. But my family moved when I was in third grade, um, only for 10 months. We, I grew up, I should tell everybody, I grew up, I was born in San Francisco, but I really grew up in Los Angeles. Um, mm -hmm. My parents moved to Los Angeles when I was fairly young. And so, um, when I was really young. And so uh, my dad had a business opportunity and we lived in Nevada for about 10 months and when I was in third mm -hmm. grade. And for some reason, and I should probably ask my mom this, we lost my dad this summer. Um, oh, I'm so, so sorry. Well, we can, we'll talk more about yeah, him because he's a huge piece of my journey. But uh, um, we lived in Nevada, and for some reason during those 10 months, uh, my father was Catholic. My mom uh, had kind of had some different um, experiences growing up. And so uh, we converted to Catholicism while we lived in Nevada. So, really? yeah, so all of a sudden we were like kind of, Bopping around, probably I would say, in different <laughs> different churches. And all of a sudden, we became Catholic. So I was baptized when I was eight. I think my brother was six. Uh, my little sister was one, uh, and wow. so um, and so yeah. My mom um, was confirmed, and like we kind of had this full migration um, into Catholicism. So when we got back from Nevada, back to Los Angeles, I went to Catholic school for I guess three years, um, and then went to a, a secular, went to a private girls' school for high school, and then ended up at the University of Notre Dame, which obviously is a Catholic college. Uh, right. And then did my master's degree at Georgetown, which is a Catholic university, and then ended up at a public school for my PhD. So I've been in these different contexts. So interesting. Um, they have brought out different parts of my journey, right? And I've also been, um, again, in different parts of my life in some incredibly diverse um, uh, situations and some incredibly not diverse situations. So, you know, sure. I think about, you know, growing up in Los Angeles, I did have lots of friends who were Jewish. I did have lots mm -hmm. of friends um, who were um, from all different kinds of faith traditions um, and was exposed to a lot growing up in Los Angeles and then went to Notre Dame where 96% you know, of the student body was Catholic when I was there. Right. Um, which is a different experience. Um, mm -hmm. Again, but an experience where, you know, I, to this day I'm a candle lighter. I think that came from my time on that campus. There's this gorgeous grotto there. And I think I learned that some one of the ways that I kind of take pressure off or reflect or 
uh, get in, in a space is I'm a candle lighter. So that came out of, mm-hmm. of being in that space and that uh, faith tradition for a while. Do you feel like that connects you to your higher power? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And like I said, to this day, I'm still a candle lighter. But that's that's a muscle I developed uh, or a faith practice I developed mm-hmm. when I was uh, in college when I was your age. Um, yeah, when I was at, at Georgetown, again, Catholic school, but not nearly as Catholic as Notre Dame. So it's like sixty percent Catholic. So oh, again, nice. more more diverse um, and different faith traditions. And then and that's where I really started studying religion seriously, right? So you okay. know, first classes in Buddhism, first classes um, in kind of non-Western tradition. Right. Um, and then when I got to Virginia, you know, both of my kids uh, were born in Charlottesville. They were both baptized. Funny enough, he was here for inauguration. Uh, the priest. And Notre Dame, that was my history professor, actually presided at my wedding um, oh, to my husband Bill, and then baptized both my children. So Father Bill has, has been a big piece of our lives. But um, you know, about thirty-three percent of the student body at UVA is Catholic. Um, but again, since I was you know in the squarely in the religious studies space, again, great um, exposure to all sorts of people and all sorts of faith traditions, and that religious studies department is really strong. So um, again, whether it was um, you know. Western, you know, Islam, uh, Judaism, Christianity, kind of uh, Western traditions, or was it Eastern traditions? Um, you know, my field is actually American religious history, so I spent mm-hmm. a lot of time thinking about, you know, different kinds of um, faith traditions in the United States. So thinking about kind of again, um, you know, both Protestant and Catholic, but also Mormons, and uh, thinking about, about you know, here in Pennsylvania, right? There's incredible uh, religious tradition that came through Pennsylvania and immigration oh, and all sorts of stuff, right? And spent some time in African American religious tradition, and so uh, you know, indigenous religious tradition. So you know, the thing I love about religion is it's actually universal. It's uh, a way that so many people through so many different um, traditions have expressed this this. Um, higher being or calling and so mm-hmm. I've always found it fascinating to be um, engaged in that in those conversations both from an academic side and also from a faith side if that makes sense. right I think it's a yearning for connection yeah. and it's so interesting to see how that presents to, in different cultures and two different how different people see it as you could you could talk to two people of the same faith and they could have such different experiences and journeys and beliefs yeah, yeah it's really something yeah. Um, going back though to even before you converted to Catholicism, do you have any memories of, of that time, those early years? Yeah, I mean it's funny. Like I said, I think um, you know two two quick stories. One will embarrass my daughter Monica. But that's okay. <laughs> um, you know when I was uh, again in elementary school, I went to a, um, an Episcopalian school, St. Matthew's, and I remember loving going to chapel. I remember loving you know, the singing. I remember loving being in the community that way. Um, I remember the feeling of belonging, right, um, in a really profound way. Um, so I, I remember that from, like, kindergarten, first grade, second grade. I remember that piece of it. Um, when I was in third grade, when we moved back from Nevada, I actually went to a Catholic school in Santa Monica, California, called St. Monica's. Mm-hmm. And it's a beautiful, beautiful church, right, in Santa Monica, not far from the Pacific Ocean. And uh it's got beautiful frescoes. I had not been, I've been since, and we can talk about it, I actually got to go um, to Rome, to Italy, uh, oh, when wow. the woman I wrote my dissertation on, Catherine Drexel, was canonized. So we can talk about that in oh, a second. Oh, that's incredible, but, uh, yeah. But um, before I ever been to Rome or seeing, you know, a fresco in Europe, I um, there were these gorgeous kind of frescoes in this church in Santa Monica. And I can remember being in third grade and looking at this gorgeous fresco of, um, of St. Monica and, and thinking, like, you know, if I ever um, have a daughter, I'm going to name her Monica. Um, and so that's actually how my daughter Monica got her name. Uh, it was from oh, being how old were you when third you grade. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, I can remember being third grade, kind of first Friday mass, sitting there and looking up and saying, like, that's so beautiful. If I ever have a daughter, I'll name her Monica. So that's how my daughter, uh, Monica Catherine, got her name. Matter of fact, she's named after two saints. So she's St. Monica from when I was in third grade, <laughs> and then Catherine from Catherine Drexel, who um, oh. is the second American-born saint. Um, and she's the woman I wrote my uh, doctoral dissertation on. Actually, good Pennsylvania uh, connection. She was born and raised uh, in Philadelphia. Really? Amazing life. Um, so born 1858, dies the year after the Brown versus Board of Education decision, so oh. 96 years. But she was this incredible woman who started an order called the Sisters of the Blessed Sacrament, um, and their mission was to help educate African-American children and uh, indigenous children, Native American children, out west, uh, African-American students uh, down south, 
really from about 1890 to 1925 were her most um, productive years. Started over 200 schools, started at Xavier University in New Orleans. Amazing woman. And she's not in American history books, and she's no. barely in uh, kind of American education uh, books, partly because she was a nun. And so, you know, that's not where we tend to write history from um, underrepresented populations, right? She was she was a woman serving African-American and indigenous students. So of course. Uh, she doesn't show up on the radar screen the way she deserves, but amazing, amazing woman. So Monica, my daughter, is named after after those two. Oh, how did you come to find her, Catherine? Uh, so, you know, I my PhD work at the University of Virginia, my, like I said, my field was American religious history, and I was, I was doing my work uh, in American Catholic history, came upon her and realized very quickly, A, this woman is incredible, but B, no one had told her story, um, at least not in any academic rigor uh, way. Mm -hmm. So um, my dissertation was really writing an academic kind of lens on her biography and then the founding of her first few schools. Um, and so, again, just thoughtful, inclusive, faithful, bright, intentional. Uh, you know, and to this day, I think about some of... Uh, I spent a couple years in the archives just reading her letters um, and trying to get her voice and trying to make sure that I could um, reflect her well in, in my research. And uh, to this day, there's phrases that are still in my head because of how beautiful her writing was and just what a life she lived. So, oh, that's incredible. Yeah. Her legacy lives on in you. Yeah, and you know, it's what's beautiful about her is, um, so she was canonized while I was writing about her. So she was canonized in 2000, so I got to go to Rome with the sisters, um, and a bunch of alums that had been touched by her school and actually got to watch her be canonized in St. Peter's Square, which was amazing. Oh, wow. um, but she's got this gorgeous legacy, and part of it is very much um, still animating me and, and the way that I think about the world. So, Right. What are some of those phrases that, that you're mentioning that still help your worldview? Yeah, I mean, she talks about being fearless, um, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, I... I've been spending a lot of time since I got this campus to talk about being bold and brave. I think those are all synonyms, right? Um, but she talks about, um, you know, being in service, being fearless. She has a, a beautiful line that, especially when I was scaling the College of Bicycle work, or even now that I'm at Lafayette, you know, sometimes in life you hear you get disappointments or you hear no. And she has this beautiful um, saying. She was, you know, out west. She was trying to start schools for indigenous students. I think she was in Arizona at the time. And the bishop had not given her permission to start the school she wanted to start. And she's very disappointed. She talks about, but growth must be gradual to be enduring. And so there's times where I've been impatient, where I wanted to open up a new you know, high school, or I wanted to have something happen now. And even here at Lafayette, part of the listening and learning tour is me reminding myself that sometimes in life, uh, growth has to be gradual to be enduring. Right. Yeah. yeah, you don't have to get everything all at once for it yeah. to be meaningful. That's right. That's yeah. right. And to enjoy the journey, to enjoy the process, back to not checking so the boxes, true. right? Yeah. But actually doing the work. Um, I think there's something, like I said, one of the things I learned from spending time with her uh, was how important it is to be intentional. Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah, and I think that's something really special in how you observe your faith because. I think there are certainly people who just kind of fall into a doctrine or tradition without ever really thinking about what that means. Yeah. And I can so see in your story, um, in, in the St. Monica and St. Catherine, just as two examples, just that you so embody this thoughtful ignition of religion. Yeah, and, and, and the thoughtful um, recognition of, of other traditions too, right? Yeah. I mean, I think there's something really... And this is why I love study, right? There's something really beautiful and profound in all those traditions, right? There's something that resonates every time, right? So, again, it's one of the reasons why I, you know, back to the class I taught uh, at UVM, female saints. One of the reasons why I loved teaching that class is we taught, um, I only taught primary sources. So other than, you know, we started with, with early martyrs. So we started with perpetual infelicity. So other than the kind of um, testimony of their martyrdom, the rest of it was actually... Um, you know, primary source. So we read Catherine of Siena, we read Teresa Avila, we read Teresa Lazoo, we read uh, Catherine Drexel, and these women are so beautiful and profound. And think, you know, I used to say all the time, you could have put, you know, a piece from Catherine of Siena in front of a class, and most people would have thought it was, you know, Thomas Aquinas or some some male theologian, some somebody that you know is the tip of everybody's tongue because uh, we teach uh, in ways that don't always lift up female voices. Absolutely. And I just remember thinking to myself, like, these women, you know, Hildegard of Bingham was another one on the list. Um, 
these women are so profound and beautiful and their voices matter in such an incredible way and what what a pleasure and what an honor it was to to teach that and lift that up right um but again you know there's also incredible female theologians in other traditions right and so just trying to like make sure that again the thing i love about religious studies when it's done well it can be incredibly inclusive um and incredibly interesting lens to look at the world um yeah, and just just getting to tell those stories, um, because I think when people are heard, it, it can be, there is this kind of stigma around talking about religion, yeah, yeah. but once you do, once you break that seal, I feel like you just get a story like no other. Well, and I think, you know, especially in popular culture, um, the narrative is that religion is used to divide, and there are times, no, there's no doubt uh, that religion has been used um to divide, but religion also can be used to unite, right? It's not a one-way street. And so I mm-hmm. think telling both stories is important, right? Telling the stories of the division is important so that we don't um, learn from it. Yeah, that we don't make the same mistakes, right? And yeah. we don't and we don't make the mistakes of not seeing, hearing, value each other, right? right? But also telling the stories about where it's healed or it's lifted or it's, it's reconciled, right? right? Um, those those are important stories, Where too. it's brought meaning and purpose. We don't talk about reconciliation enough no, as a culture, no. right? Um, especially Americans. I think other, other countries actually do reconciliation better than we do. Um, yeah, we like uh, drama and conflict. We do, and yeah. we don't. And, and, you know, even things like, you know, I've had some time... Um, and I think it was actually a book that a lot of students on this campus read um, this year, Just Mercy, right? Brian Stevenson. Right. He talks about being proximate to the work, right? He also talks mm-hmm. about the need for reconciliation. Um, and, you know, I think there are a lot of voices right now that are pointing us towards doing that reconciliation work. So. Definitely, yeah. And, and yours is such an important one. And going back to that moment in third grade, were there traits you learned about St. Monica that you kind of carried with you they got you to this yeah, religious so, studies. Yeah, so St. Monica is known as St. So she was known for, she was St. Augustine's mom. Uh, mm-hmm. And the, you know, the way that uh, I was taught about St. Monica is, you know, she was um, the persevering mom, right? She prayed and prayed and prayed for her son. If anybody knows the story about St. Augustine, he was, um, had a, a bumpy journey, right? Confessions. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, um, and, you know, um, and she constantly prayed for, for kind of uh, her son, uh, I think, you know, so yeah, the persistence, the enduring, again, um, qualities that sometimes uh, are seen as female qualities, but they're actually qualities that, um, whether you want to subscribe them or prescribe them to a gender, they're actually really important qualities of, um, you know, like I said, I actually think persistence uh, and endurance and steadfastness or steadfastness are um, undervalued. Qualities, I think, uh, yeah, there's something about St. Monica's story of just never giving up on the people she loves that's actually really powerful. That's beautiful. So when did you discover that story? Was kind of more in a middle school, high school area? Yeah, it was more middle school. I mean, again, I think I was fortunate enough, um, again, to be in these different environments and hear different stories and then um, start to feel what was resonating with me. Um, And so I think, again, I... I said this at um, inauguration. I'm a big believer in and instead of or, mm-hmm. right? Um, Absolutely. And I think even our culture right now, we need to challenge ourselves to think about and more than or. And so I think one of my gifts of my, you know, journey has been um, being in places where I get to see the and. Um, and so it's beautiful. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And and you get to bring new meaning. Yeah. Yeah, and that's and that nuance is something that's so lacking in a lot of religious conversations um yeah but and and also you know like i said taking different faith traditions you know i mentioned before mm-hmm. um you know we lost my dad uh in june and you mm-hmm. know again i've got some dear friends who are jewish and we talked about shiva right and like yeah. the beautiful tradition right and as somebody who grew up more in the christian and catholic spaces not something that you know my family had ever done before mm-hmm. but after going through that, I absolutely see the power of it. I oh, see yeah. the need for it, right? I see there's something. It's the community. It's and it's beautiful, mm-hmm. right? And 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 it's so hard to do that without that space and with that intentionality and that community, right? And so again, there's part of me like, wow. What I love about religious traditions is seeing, uh, seeing how we all find 
the love in the community and how different communities express it, right? Right. I always think of it as um, my grandparents were very influential in me being religious and, and caring about religion, um, and they both died in the last few months. Um, and uh, thanks, yeah. And yeah, I would see them about every day, and we would talk about it. And I, I recount. I realized recently, I never really heard about their beliefs. It was just religion is taking care of people. Yeah. It's yeah, love, that's right. it's generosity. That's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. No, I mean, I shared a little of this at inauguration, but my dad, um, he was a huge, huge force in my life, um, and a huge um, champion for for me. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting. Our last cover, our last lucid conversation. Um, you know, we were talking about education. He was a big believer in the power of education. We were talking about hope. We were talking about he had his own kind of um, incredible arc of his own life. Um, he was a low-income, first-generation uh, student from Detroit who really lived the American dream. But, mm-hmm. you know, as we got to the end of this, of this conversation, it was our last conversation that was lucid, he um, kind of just talked about how, what, what was important. And I said to him, it was it was actually this simple. I said to him, so Dad, you're telling me you know that the, the secret of life is to have a clear mind and a kind heart. And he said, you got it. You got it. Right? That's it's it. Just, that's it. That's all you need. And I just remember thinking, even here now that I'm part of this Lafayette community, like the way to walk through life, right? Clear mind, kind heart. Um, it's yeah. it's um, in some ways it's just that beautifully simple, right? Um, so anything else is a bonus. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. Well, just to be our best selves, right? To love yeah. each other. Right, and and so many times we let other things take priority over that. Yeah, that's beautiful. I'm curious about your dad. Um, So he's first generation. Where were your grandparents from? So uh, my grandfather, uh, that side of the family, was from Ireland. um, Mm -hmm. And my grandfather was born in Scotland as they were migrating towards the United States. Mm -hmm. Uh, My grandmother's side of the family um, was already in the United States, so he was first gen Mm -hmm. on his dad's side. But, you know, he had a really rough childhood, and... Mm -hmm. um, you know, did not grow up in a in a um, household that stayed together, and so. Um, but he said, and this goes back to the importance of, of religion and also the importance of taking care of each other. It was, and he'll talk about it. He talked about this till the very end. It was a bunch of nuns who were teaching him in the local Catholic school that saved him, right? That said, oh, "Larry, we yeah. believe in you." Right back to those four words we all need to hear. Um, you know, Larry, we believe in you. Larry, you're a good kid, even though, you know, things might not be going well at home. We believe in you. We've got you. And um, helped instill his faith. And, um, you know, he talks about he had a coach in high school that literally kind of drove him down to South Bend, Indiana, and left him at the steps of Notre Dame. That's how he went to college. This was, you know, 1952. So, yeah, I think, you know, his journey was blessed, right? And his journey had these moments where people who had taken – uh, vows to be of service stepped up, right? Um, and again, so back to community and meeting each other. Right. My dad's story was absolutely a story of being the beneficiary of people who understood that part of our service in life is to love each other and take care of each other. Mm. Yeah, did that play a role in him wanting your mom and, and you and your siblings to convert? Yeah, I think, you know, he was called to, to that faith tradition, I think, because of the power of transformation it had in his life mm-hmm. um, and the opportunities that it brought him in his life. Um, you know, he also would be the first one to say, like, there's beauty and truth to all sorts of traditions, though, right? So he was never dogmatic about it. He was never authoritarian about it. He was never... Um, uh, I did not grow up in a household where religion ever felt um, suffocating. Mm-hmm. It was much more a way of expressing ourselves, but it wasn't seen as the only way of expressing yourself if that makes sense it was never mm-hmm. it was always um and this is what i loved about the house i grew up in uh, i think both my parents embody this sense of um commitment and love but also um understanding that we all are on a journey and that that mm-hmm. journey takes all sorts of turns and being able to recognize that um you know, I, I believe this in my whole heart. We don't, none of us have linear paths, right? No. Everything's non-linear mm-hmm. and being able to um, show up and take care of each other no matter what that path looks like. Um, so beautiful. Really important. Yeah, that's going back to that community feeling. Yeah. And and it seems like religion was always that place of community for you. So is that why, did you always know you wanted to pursue religious studies? It's interesting. I mean, you know, 
it speaks to, and I say this, um, you know, I think we're most powerful when our hearts, our hands, and our heads are in alignment. Um, mm -hmm. I think studying religion always made me feel like I was in alignment, right? Because it was yeah. all, all three in sync, right? My head was being challenged intellectually by these different scholars, theologians, faith traditions. Um, you know, my hands were being challenged by, am I actually living out what I'm, what I'm reading and, and thinking about? And in my heart, you know, am I actually um, being called to serve um, and take the knowledge and pass it on and live it out? So. That's beautiful. And it's an interesting juxtaposition, though, I'm thinking about it, being on a Catholic campus and learning about all of these Eastern traditions and different traditions you never knew about for the first time. What was that like? What did you learn? No, I mean, this is, and again, I think this is an interesting part. You know, I've had some really profound uh intellectual experiences in the religious study space mm -hmm. and it's interesting you know some people say well how could you learn these things at a catholic school the beauty about being a catholic school was that they take religion seriously so you couldn't right. really study other faith traditions in a really thoughtful way um right it wasn't kind of seen as non-academic like right? it is at oh, a lot no. of schools yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was absolutely seen as we take all faith seriously because mm -hmm. we take our faith seriously right wow. um which yeah. is a kind of a liberating space to be in and i'm not I sure everybody sees that lens um and then, you know, I did a PhD at a public school, and again, people say, well, there's strong religious studies departments at public schools. Absolutely. Again, because I think in the public space, um, it, it really is an academic exercise more than a faith exercise in some ways, but also in a public space, as you know, religion touches everything. And, you know, if you're a school like UVA, where, you know, Thomas Jefferson actually wrote, as a matter of fact, he's one of the things he's most proud of, uh, if you read his, um, he wrote his own um, verbiage for his memorial, uh, and one of his most um, proud accomplishments was actually um, being the author of the Declaration of, of Religious uh, Freedom and Religious Liberty mm -hmm. in Virginia, right? Mm -hmm. um, this idea of the kind of where faith and uh, religion and public life intersect and don't intersect, and that tension, right, is very American, it's very real, and to have those conversations um, about religious liberty uh, and about uh, how we show up or don't show up is very appropriate in a public school. So, you know, yeah. I think, yeah, the three things on Jefferson's uh, memorial that he wrote were, you know, he's the father of the University of Virginia, one of the authors in the Declaration of Independence, um, and the the author of that statute. So, you know, he doesn't even mention being president, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but, but again, it shows you this tension in the American story around mm -hmm. um, how we have or have not dealt with faith traditions. So. Right. Yeah, and it's something that if it's not discussed, it just boils under the surface. And and you don't get those true connections. Um, so I'm curious, though, kind of going off of that theme of feeling connected, were there things you learned about other faith traditions that still stick with you in college and beyond? Yeah, I mean, I think, like I said, there's um, so much beauty in all of them. So when I think about, especially, you know, I've already mentioned that I'm a, a candlelighter. I think in the Eastern... Um, you know, Eastern faith, meditation, connection, it's just so deep um, in those in those um, traditions. Um, so I think a lot about um, kind of my exposure there. Um, you know, I think about, again, just all these different um, experiences I've had. Uh, like I said, I think it's really about having, um, seeing the commonalities, right? I'm somebody that likes to see the intersections. Um, and so I think Part of the reason why I've always been fascinated about studying religion is not just to study a religion, but to study the intersections, see the commonalities, see the differences too. And um, yeah, to me, it's it's always been um, space. Like I said, if if you're um, curious, it's space where you can really dive deep That's and be right. challenged, right? Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, my, you know, I'll laugh when I tell you this. Uh, I remember my. First time teaching religion 101 as a teaching assistant at UVA and had a student come to tears in his eyes and he got to see on the midterm and I was like, what's wrong? He's like, my mom's going to kill me. I've gone to church, you know, all my life. And I was like, again, but he had to understand like, this isn't church. This is, this is religion 101, right? Like, it's academic, right? So again, I think, you know, um, yeah, that's, that's like the beauty of, of, of studying it is that it's not just, um, uh, going through the motions is actually digging in, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. And not that he was going through the motions, but it was very clear that he thought that he was just going to be able to kind of 
wing off his, his Sunday experiences <laughs> and that. And I was like, no, no, we're going to, no. we're going to go deeper here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So did you know while you were in school that you wanted to teach? Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, teaching is one of those things and this might be showing my bias. Um, but mm -hmm. I, I think anybody who teaches will tell you this, it's a calling, it's a mm -hmm. vocation. And mm -hmm. once you've kind of caught it, it's very hard to not have it still right. be part of your be part of your DNA or be part mm -hmm. of what you're trying to do. And, and there's different ways to teach, right? I think, you know, Definitely. Uh, when I left the classroom to go do the college advising core work, part of me thought like, wow, I'm teaching very differently, but I had to keep reminding myself that I was still teaching. Oh, absolutely. If you're influencing people, if you're passing on that knowledge and that passion, yeah, yeah that's what teaching is all about. I'm curious though, the calling, did that have anything to do with things like the candle lighting? Do you remember feeling that moment? Well, I do think, you know, whether it's the teaching or, or, or any of the other, it's always been about service, right? It's mm -hmm. always been about a belief that um, I'm part of something bigger and that I'm a piece of a, of, a, um, of a fabric that's much bigger than just me. Um, and that part of being a piece of that fabric is also a, an absolute... Um, obligation to be serving right to be of service mm -hmm. um did that have to do with your dad at all it had to do with everything i mean mm -hmm. i think about you know whether it's um example in my family whether it's example of people that inspired me mm -hmm. whether it was um reading books or um music or there I'm, i've always been drawn to to spaces that feel like they're spaces of service. Really? Yeah. So who were those other people that inspired you to be a person of service? Yeah, well, I mean, so, you know, I think, and I talked about some of this uh, in the inauguration, you know, from a from a scholarly perspective, right? Spent all the time, mm -hmm. uh, Bonhoeffer, right? Dorothy Day, mm -hmm. um, uh, Martin Luther King, um, you know, Catherine Drexel, a lot of people that influenced uh, my kind of thinking about Spent a lot of time, um, you know, studying the civil rights movement. Spent a lot of time. Mm -hmm. Got to meet Rosa Parks when I was in college. Really? Right? Yeah. What yeah, was that it was like? Amazing, amazing absolutely amazing. Oh how did you how did you get that opportunity? It just happened that you know, Nerding had a, a lecture series, and she got to come to campus. That's got, amazing. Got to visit with you know um, John Lewis a little bit before mm -hmm. he passed away. Right. Oh. These people that um, stepped up and were courageous. What um, was John Lewis like? Amazing. Oh. I mean, again, total servant. Mm -hmm. heart and reflect is and this is a beautiful thing reflects back to you right so you know I, I was thanking him for his service and I started talking about the college of Eisenhower and his immediate reaction was well thank you for your service right it was huh. you know this recognition of, of, of mm -hmm. the love right this recognition and of humility and community right um, yeah. the, the, the journey isn't just one of us the journey is all of us oh, um, definitely. Uh, and so yeah I just think I've always felt um inspired by people back to being brave and bold and fearless mm -hmm. right um and knowing that there's again i use this phrase a lot in my inaugurations uh conversation was that lovely and i don't I'm, some people say it's not really attributed to dr king but i i will attribute to him there today it's the so it's the beautiful line about um you know the arc of the universe um, as long as it bends towards justice, right? Um, oh, it's all about bending the arc to me, right? How, how, when you wake up every day, how are you being your best self? How are you bending the arc, right? Yeah. We're, we're here to serve. We're here to be of service to each other. Mm. Yeah. Right, and, and faith is your vehicle for that. I'm curious how that changed when you started your family, when you when you met your husband and had your kids. Yeah, I mean, you know, so uh, if you all can see it uh, in the presence house, um, because it's hanging on one of the walls. Uh, when we got married, uh, the priest that married us uh, had written down on a piece of paper, uh, it says something like, to like uh, Dear Nicole and Bill, uh, your job now is to help each other to heaven. Right? Uh -huh. And we framed it. And it'll be, it'll be 25 years in May that we've been married. And oh, that piece of paper is framed and is stuck on the wall where we've been together since we got married. And I think that is our frame, right? Is, our job is to help each other. Heaven is the way that, that the, the, the note is, uh, to me, that, that note is saying our job is to support each other, take care of each other, take care of our family, but take care of our community, take care of this world, take care of this planet, right? And that 
this helping each other to heaven it to me is just a beautiful way of saying um, we've got to we've got to take care of each other with our time here. Um, and so I think you know whether it's my relationship with my husband or my relationship with my children or my relationship with my my Lafayette family now, right? Um, yeah. It's about taking care of each other and being intentional. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and so um, in that spirit, though, do you think that your beliefs have changed since starting a family? Uh, I don't know if my beliefs have changed. I think, and I, I said this, um, actually, I, said, I didn't say this during my inauguration speech, but I said it uh, at the lunch before. You know, when I was young, and I think this is probably typical in some ways, but maybe it's not. I think I thought love was like a butterfly or like something that you had to capture and that somehow it was scarce, right? Like, and even like dating, I thought like you have to find ha-ha, perfect partner, right? Like, that just, you know, none of us yeah, find that. And, and, and even when we find our partner, they're not perfect, right? No, that kind of, it's, it's work. That kind of, that kind of um, language is actually really toxic to, to yeah. expect that out of other people, right? None of us are perfect. Um, but I thought it was a scarce thing, like a butterfly or something. And you're like, the job was to like get it and then never let it go. Right. Um, and I don't know, I think it was probably having children to change the frame, to be honest with you, where I realized I have been so stressed out and so, um, trying to chase this thing that actually isn't scarce. It's abundant. It's everywhere. And that frame changed everything. Cause all of a sudden when you realize it's abundant and it's not scarce and it's everywhere and it's in the smile in the person at the grocery store, it's in, mm-hmm. you know, the hug and, you know, the, the person that you see, you know, um, walking down the way, it, it's, it's everywhere. Right. And I think that frame probably came, um, didn't probably came from having kids, but that frame also came from just intentionally realizing, wait a second, it's not scarce. It's abundant. Right. And in feeling that love and that abundance though, do you feel like your your faith related beliefs? Like I'm thinking, I, I'm wondering what your relationship is like with a higher power, how you connect, and yep. and if you believe in an afterlife, things like that. Yeah, I mean that goes back to the abundance, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, when you start exactly. seeing it all as abundance, then yeah, whether it's um, our connection to each other, our connection to the higher source, our mm-hmm. connection to an afterlife, like the connection to all of it becomes much more um, vivid and easy, yeah. and and um, and fills you up in a different way when you when you see that abundance, right? Um, there's no doubt about it. Oh, it's so beautiful. Yeah. So are there ways, are you a regular church goer, or are there other ways you connect to Yeah, I mean, there's, there's different ways that we that I connect, right? And um, and again, I think we all have our own journeys, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, again, I've, I'm always, um, since I was in my early 20s, connected to being in... Um, in that candle space, um, there's certain things I can read that take me into that space uh, quickly. There's certain songs I hear that take me. That I mean, I I do think we all have multiple entries. I don't think it's just one entry, Definitely. right? Um, yeah. And you know, even even space, right? I'm um, I love I love being in spaces that call you to your to that tap into that that abundance, right? Tap tap mm-hmm. into that higher source and. And sometimes it's just architecture. It's beauty, right? Sometimes it's mm-hmm. walking outside. It's amazing how, you know, this is such a gorgeous campus. I can remember maybe our second week here, gorgeous kind of early summer morning, so it was still cool out, and I was walking. And, like, just the abundance of this place and the beauty of this place burst into tears, right? And that was just mm-hmm. gratitude. That's another thing. I think not only do I realize that abundance is um is the frame and love is the frame, but also gratitude is the frame. Absolutely. Um, And finding that gratitude in every day. Do you think that's changed from, from being at UVA and teaching to um, your, your project that you took national to being here? Oh, it's always gratitude. It's always gratitude. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's, um, yeah, I think, you know, I always say (laughs) uh, I've got in the college advising core, we call them our non-negotiable core values, but I Mm -hmm. think they're actually, um, my non-negotiable <laughs> core values, uh, and I talk about grace and humility, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's and some of that's from Catherine Drexel, uh, mm-hmm. but some of that's also from this huge sense of gratitude, right? Mm-hmm. It's grace. Um, one of my favorite definitions of grace actually comes from Dante. It's the um, going to the assistance of another unasked, right? You don't earn mm-hmm. grace; oh, it that. just comes. It just yeah, comes. and not expecting anything yeah, in return. Yeah, exactly, and then right. humility, right? We're, we're dependent on each other. We need each other. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, I talked about that Catherine Sienna quote um, about inter- which 
intentional interdependence, right? None of mm -hmm. us have every gift. We actually make each other. Definitely. And it seems like the College Advising Corps was so informed by that. Absolutely. And do you feel like your time here has been so far? Yeah, I mean, that's that's yeah. the that's the, the fun thing or the interesting thing or the challenging <laughs> but uplifting thing about coming to a new context yeah. um, is back to my learning and listening and then and then showing up in ways where we can advance the college together, right? And thinking right. about what that looks like. So. Yeah, have you learned about different faiths or traditions um, in any more context since being here? I mean, it hasn't been that long. No, I mean, I'm learning, right? Yeah. I think, again, there's some great um, traditions uh, on this campus and there's great ways people express their, their faith on this campus. And, and it's also an age, I mean, just to kind of call it out, though, it's also an age sometimes where people aren't embracing their faith as much, right? Yeah. This is, oh, the, you know, your 18 to 22-year-old selves are not the places that always show up in quote-unquote, like, institutional no. ways, right? But that doesn't mean it's not there, right? And mm -hmm. so I guess, you know, it's one of the reasons why I'm so glad you're doing this podcast. I think Thanks. there's different, again, there's different entree points, and mm -hmm. they don't have to be the same ones your whole life. And, and it's not about mm -hmm. judgment, right? Again, so I'm not here to say, like, well, if you're not going to you know, service A or you're not doing service B. Like, you're done. You're done. Yeah. No, like I said, we're all on a journey and, um, and we all find ways to, um, to manifest that in different points in our lives in different ways. And like I said, sometimes it, for me, it's been in really institutional spaces and other times mm -hmm. it's been in, in nature, in nature, or mm -hmm. it's been in community that, um, was very diverse in terms of its mm -hmm. t its traditions, but it was still very much about lifting each other up, right? And so right, and it's interesting. One of the things I've learned recently in one of my religious studies courses is that religion, not every religion is named, yeah. and religion is just whatever gives your life purpose. Well, you know, it goes back, yeah. what's this, what does the word religion really mean, right? If right. you go back to kind of the, the, the source of that word, it, it means to bind together, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's what binds us together. Um, and so I think, you know, if you go back to what the definition, it's about binding. It's about um, what unites us, what calls us, what brings us together. And finding that community. Yeah. yeah. And, and we're so lucky that you're binding our community together. Yeah, truly. Um, thank you so much. This has been incredible. Um, is there anything you'd like to add before we wrap up? I feel like no. I mean, like I said, I'm just um, so back to the gratitude. So grateful to be here. Yeah. Uh, so grateful to be part of this community, and so grateful to be of service. Like I said, mm -hmm. I I I'm not sure that we always use that phrase in higher education, but I am here to serve, um, and I'm and really grateful to have the opportunity to serve. So. Yeah, I I really I'm in awe of your gratitude and humility and wisdom. I really, I've never been so speechless in an interview. <laughs> um, I, and you have such an amazing journey with so many nuances. I feel like we could talk about it for hours. Yeah. Um, thank you for this time. Thank you so much for sharing with us and for being so open. Yeah. Um, thank you so much. Perfect. Um, yeah, that was amazing. Thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. Now she's got to save. It's doing, doing this little thing. <laughs> doing this little dancey dance. I was, okay, I was wondering. 